Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken, and my co-host Nick Easter. Uh, this episode we'll be talking about the semi-finals just gone. And of course, the likelihood winners of the finals uh, in the Premiership, but also taking a look at the finals for the European Cup. Celebrate Oktoberfest from the comfort of your own home with a free case of eight German craft beers from Beer 52, the world's biggest beer club. All you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash rocket and cover the £5.95 postage and they'll deliver them straight to your door. Each month, the team at Beer 52 visit a different country in order to find the world's best beers. This month, they're in Germany to celebrate the world's biggest beer festival. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. Just go to beer52.com forward slash rocket to claim your free case of eight craft beers now. That's beer52.com forward slash rocket so Nick I can see you're, you're still in your uh, Newcastle Falcons kit and you look absolutely knackered so is this a full day's coaching you have, don't tell me you've been running around work, mate, a full day's work been a while um, yeah that, I mean yeah yeah look it's uh, yeah, it's been a long day but it's, it's a long day because of the process and most clubs um, are able to do it uh, have, have had to do it is before testing, so we get tested tomorrow morning, but we won't get results till Wednesday, and Wednesday's our day off. So we train sort of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday is the two days before testing, if you like. So Monday and Tuesday, we split the, the squads into two groups. Uh, I think yeah, I've explained it before for track and trace purposes, and also when they're within that two groups, the, you know, there's no contact, you know, longer than three seconds with anyone else. You know, not meant to be, just in case anyone tests positive and. You have to trawl through the videos. After that, you can, you know, get get stuck in and, uh, you know, run a session as you would do at this stage of sort of pre-season. But you sort of, you know, you've got sort of heart, you know, one arm tied behind your back for, for part of the week. And uh, it means you just have to run repeat sessions, really. So, you know, the day ends up being quite long. Um, but it's what I understand all the other clubs have been doing since going back as well. Um, only been able to train in sort of bubble groups, if you like, or two groups. And then once that they get the all clear, then they can, uh, you know, resume sort of full contact or, you know, live. So when you're tested, you, you're tested tomorrow and you get your results, but then can you then train as a whole group once you've had the results? Yeah, yeah exactly. So we'll be one group on Thursday and Friday. Exactly. That. Right. So... Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, unless you're willing to fork out, I think a couple of clubs probably have, willing to fork out to get tested every day so you can train as one group, um, then it's going to be like that for the foreseeable until they sort of get this 10-minute testing, you know, because you have to wait 24 hours um, after that. But uh, look, it's just what you've got to manage throughout this crisis at the moment and the situation we're in. But uh you know, talking of tests and uh, positives, uh, plenty, plenty from the northwest, not the northeast, but the northwest. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, I know we're sort of a bit delayed in in covering that on here, but uh, you know, a further eight positives or nine positives, wasn't it, when they tried to get the game rearranged, which was always very unlikely to go on, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, 
Sale Worcester, yeah. The, so Sale was supposed to uh, play against Worcester to get into the last four. And re- interestingly, the, the the week before, I mean, Bath really blew it by drawing against Saracens, which opened the door. Then all Sale needed to do was, which would have been likely to have beaten Worcester. And then suddenly they come back with all these positive results. Now, um, you may know a bit more than me, but I believe it was after winning their final um, that they all went out on the piss, didn't they, in Manchester? And uh, they came oh, back with... Manchester Met Uni, isn't it? Is yeah. <laughs> but all uh, denied... And of, course, and, of course, that's got the biggest rise in cases in the whole country, the northwestern Manchester. Um, yeah. well, what I didn't understand is that the fact that the the, the sale north... So, the, the, the week before, the, or the Northampton sale game was, was cancelled... Um, that, sorry, the Northampton game after they played Sale was cancelled because they were in actually because they played against Sale uh, and therefore they they couldn't confirm. They played Sale free. on a Tuesday. That's right, and then they were told they told they had to cancel their game. Yet Sale was still allowed to delay their game, which meant that they were then knew what they needed to do to qualify, which I think was unfair. The whole point of having the games on the Sunday at the same time was that everyone was in the same boat, and suddenly they said, "No, no." So you can you can play the following Wednesday. So they know exactly what they need to do, which I thought was a bit harsh. But then suddenly they came out and said, "Oh, I know we've got however many tested positive, but we still reckon we can get a team together." And people like Mark Quato were saying they could play, and other players, were, you know, from the last ten years, have said they could play. But um, I think the right thing was done. But it was one of those uncertain moments. I mean, Bath must have been shitting themselves after having thrown it away against against Saris. But yeah, I mean, still, Steve Diamond has just denied knowledge of everything, hasn't he? Which we all expected him to do. Well, mate, I think it was very unlikely they were going to get that played, mate. And uh, yeah, of course, you know, naturally he's denied knowledge. Did you see, uh, and Phil Wynn-Stanley, who's obviously, you know, an usher at Steve Diamond's wedding, or allegedly an usher at Steve Diamond's wedding, is the uh, the guy at Premier Rugby. He was making a statement uh, to allow them to have the thought sort of three or four days extra to try and prove that they had enough negatives to be able to put a side together. And uh, I think the upshot of that was this ain't going to look good, um, plus the extra positives. And the right call was made 100%. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a mess, mate. Um, the, the reason, you know, so they played two Mondays. Well, they played on a Monday, won the Premiership final. Um and allegedly, you know, were partying till the sort of early hours at Manchester Met, or some of them were. They would have resumed training. They played. They played eight days later, Northampton. Um, and uh, you know, clearly, the protocols are: if you test positive, you've got to self-isolate for ten days. Mm. If you, through the track and trace or any suspected contact um, of any any person who's tested positive. Um, you've got to self-isolate for 14 days because there's an incubation period. And that's what sort of befell Northampton um, in terms of the self-isolation. If you've got all these positive tests and you've just, you know, played a game of rugby against them. There was also the debate about they couldn't fulfil the fixture because of front row issues and that sort of stuff. But look, at the end of the day, Premier Rugby are far from transparent, aren't they, in terms of sort of just letting everyone know where they stand and what's going on and, uh, you know, I don't think it was handled in the best way, to be honest. But uh, look, I think the right thing was done in the end. Heartbreaking for, uh, well, I say heartbreaking, but very frustrating from a sale point of view. Mm. You know, they've, for the first time, spent up to the salary cap, bought in a load of South Africans so they could be around for most of the time. And, you know, 
done enough, really. They would have beaten Worcester, you know, even if Bath had won, you know, I think they would have got the bonus point and got into the top four and just to have a shot at it. And, you know, whether it is reckless behaviour, whether it was just a false, you know, a false negative, as Steve Diamond's saying, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's put paid to a lot of hard work well, over what's been a very, very yeah. long time. Yeah, very frustrating. It's just, I mean, I can't imagine they didn't go out on the piss together. <laughs> I can't imagine they all went, nah, COVID's about, let's just go. First trophy and... since 2006. Yeah. yeah let's not but, um, but yeah, I mean, would they have made a difference against Exeter? I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as a coach. And, and I guess you watch all these semi-finals and, of course, the finals coming up with a coach's eye. But watching watching at the weekend, Bath against Exeter, you know, Bath weren't very good against Saracens. They really they really should have um, finished Saracens off and just let them back in it. And so that was always potentially going to be a bit of a mismatch. But you never know on a one-off off game. Here's the thing, and the commentators didn't really talk about this. And I saw this in the semi-final of uh, Europe, the way Exeter players, they don't commit Apart from the tackler, they don't commit anyone to the rucks. Which, and I did this at St Albans a few years ago when I was playing Halebury, because we were basically we lost to Halebury seventy nil or something, and then by the end of the season we ended up in the final against them. We were trying to work out a strategy of how to play against Halebury, and we worked out that what we decided to do, which is a bit like, do you remember that offside rule where they played? Um, a test match Italy played against England they, they basically had no ruck and then came around the other side so what we decided to do for this game only we said no one is allowed to compete from the ball unless you're the tackler and then everyone else has got to get in the line and rush defence alright so in effect let's say there's one tackler we yeah. ended up having 14 men on their feet and then rushing up and I've watched them again this weekend and they never start very well but I just noticed that every time Bath tried anything. They were outnumbered defensively. And, and I realised every ruck, there was always, say, three players in a ruck from Bath or four players with the attacking player with the ball. And there was one person at the bottom of a ruck from Exeter, which meant, effectively, you're, paying, you're actually playing 10, 11 against 14 and, well, and just well, because you got two in what, the back. Yeah, there was never anyone on the floor. And I noticed that against. Um, was it uh, Toulouse when they played um, played the semi-finals? And I noticed that they did exactly the same thing, whereas uh, Toulouse were like really quick rucks. And, and actually, with all the flurry, never got anywhere. And I think that's something that's some... It'd be interesting to get your take on, you know, how to beat Exeter in a final. Now, watching that game, I, I wonder, how do, you, how do you play against a team like Exeter who do that? We, we can get on to how you play against them we know they do the tap and goes. We know they do the driving balls. We know, you know, my feeling is is they brought in, like you say, some real X-factor players in Hogg um, and uh, Gray in the second row. So my question is, is you know, how would you, if you're coaching... I'm glad you got to that question, yeah. How would you coach a team to beat Exeter? Because, I mean, what, I suppose one way is pick and go a lot through the middle, maybe, if they're just fanning out. It's just hard. Obviously, defensively, with the, the tap and go, you've got to chop tackle them, but it's it's very hard. It's, it seems very inevitable what they're going to do, uh, this extra team. And it, the question is, how do you stop them? Mate, it's very difficult. I think they're, I think they're going to win the double. Um, they're very, very strong. They've been built, you know, from the ground up, uh, you know, over a, you know, longer than a 10-year period, actually. You know, since yeah. The, I mean, even before that. 
Um, the guys love playing there. Everyone knows their role to the finest detail, whether you're third, fourth choice, or whether you're first choice. Everyone performs what's best for the team, not for their own, you know, self-serving needs. Um, and you look at their game and you go, right, set piece, very, very strong. Defence, very, very strong. Attack, very, very strong. Yeah, look, they might not like offloading. They might not make clean breaks off first phase and everything, you know, like you know, like the sharper sides like Toulouse and the All Blacks. But that's not what their cattle is. They will wear you down and they will be disciplined. They're, they're attacking breakdown. And this is interesting because if you compare and contrast Wasps, who absolutely went for Bristol at the breakdown especially, absolutely went for them, you know, made the, made the ruck really, really slow, uh, you know, made Bristol commit, you know, one or two extra guys that they don't usually like so they like to have, you know, fill the full field and have width on the ball. And Jack Willis in particular was extraordinary. That, that they made a complete mess of the defensive breakdown. And Wasps have been doing that since coming back from, you know, lockdown, the original lockdown. Um, and Exeter probably the best attacking breakdown in the league. Um, so the final will be interesting as far as that's concerned. But going back to your point, you know, there, there isn't a weakness there. They're kicking games strong. I think the first thing you've got to get right against Exeter, well, any team really, is get your set piece, get a minimum parity in a set piece. Yeah. Um, and get your kicking game right. Because if Exeter get in your 22, you know it's good night. <laughs> they score, now, don't now, they? You sort of, you go, even if they sort of have a line out just on a 22, they will just hammer and hammer and hammer away. And as I said, they're disciplined. They don't like offloading. They'll just be about, you know, get your leg drive there. We'll, we'll clear you out. Keep possession, keep possession. No opportunity for the defence. And when they get five yards out, it's, it's nigh on impossible to stop. So if you get your kicking game, have discipline and have a good set piece. So you're not giving penalties for them to get in there. You know how to manage the game, which is difficult down at Sandy Parks. There's a bit of a wind. Um, then that's the starting point. Um, mm. After that, I think, I you know, personally from an attack point of view, I think you've really got to try and, you know, do what Wasps have done and try and mess them up in a tackle area and a ruck. I just don't, you're not going to win the patience battle phase after phase after phase. You know, you might win the odd one. Um, and from an attack point of view, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, they don't, they don't like sending jacklers. They like numbers on their feet. They like to press you. Um, you've got to try and look for the mismatches, mate. Sounds obvious, but you've got to try and look for those mismatches just to get a little bit of gain line. Um, and and causing problems, but the, but I have to say, how do you stop? How do you stop? How do you stop? The two semi-finals they've played, mate. Their defence has probably been the standout thing. You know, the yeah. lose was sharp and had a few opportunities. Look, an extra at the end of the day, they got away with a few things, but good sides do. Bath, you know, I think Bath turned the ball over a lot. You know, they spilt a lot of passes they didn't need to. Falatau went straight through, didn't he? Through the intercept, so. There's opportunities there if you get the mismatches, and that was a pure mismatch. Falatau, I can't remember who he's up against, but you know he's a bloody good ball carrier, and he managed to make a clean bust. Um, but they're high on confidence, mate, and they're a good side. And uh, you know to beat them this weekend, Racing, I don't think they will because the the other thing I think that's a standout of the two semi finalists, not in not in Europe but in the Premiership, is I think they're the two fittest sides as well. I think they're the two best conditioned sides for the way they play the game. And, and you could see Bath were physically worn out pretty, you know, halfway through that first half. You could see who had the energy, who, you know, throughout the team, who was still chasing kicks, who was still getting up off the floor quicker. 
And, you know, Was did the same to Bristol, a fast-paced game. And, you know, Bristol mm. couldn't, couldn't live with them, really. And Was still... I'm loving, I'm loving the, uh, this, the, the, the new uh, dawn after lockdown of the tap and go because normally people just kick for touch and, and stuff. But extra amazing at it, aren't they? And it's always Cowan Dickey. He takes the first one and then it's pick and go, pick and go. But surely, well, I mean... Sense. It makes sense, Bryce, because although their line-out drive is very, very strong, and you, people say they've gone away from it for the tap and go. Well, if you think about it, that line-out drive, you're probably, okay, it's five yards out, but you're probably starting it with a shove from the defence, maybe six, seven yards. And it's bloody tough work getting it going again, however good you are, it's tough work. You've also got a bit of a lottery as far as how it's refereed, you know, with people mm. swimming up the side and locking it in and everything. You're not guaranteed to win your ball. Um, where, whereas if you can conserve your energy, and so, you know, if it gets collapsed, you're into the pick and go. Whereas if you can conserve your energy with a tap and go that gets to a yard out, and so yeah. the forwards are there, and it's like, well, we haven't had to maul, so we're fresh, and we're bloody good at this, and we're hard to stop. It just makes more sense, doesn't it? It feels weird the leeching's allowed, though, because if you see some of them, they, they actually leech before they get contact, and suddenly it's like, there's like almost three people driving through one player sometimes. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I guess when you're a yard out, you have to have a chop tackle, don't you? If you allow them to, if you allow them to people to leech on and drive them over, it's very hard to stop. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just frustrating watching Bath. But yeah, Wasps, I mean, let's talk about the back row and Jack Willis. I mean, what, what a game he had. I mean, apart from the try he scored, the breaks he made, the try saving tackle, um, I know, I think he was out for a couple of years or he, he had a bad injury. So he was in Eddie Jones's main squad a few years ago and he's that sort of player. But you're a back row man. There's a lot of players who are sort of, you know, basically in the back row who are standing out. But he seems to be, well, he seems to be one for the future, doesn't he, really? He's the one for the now, mate. I mean, I've always... Yeah. Been His performance of the weekend was just phenomenal. I mean, effective and omnipresent is how you describe it. He was everywhere, like literally every five seconds he was doing something, whatever it was, you know, getting up, counter-rucking, making a steal, link play, carrying, stays on his feet well when he carries. He's not the biggest guy, but he's tough to bring down, um, super, super fit, and highly effective at what he does as well. And uh, at the moment, he is head and shoulders, and there's a hell of a lot of back rows playing well, but yeah. clearly head and shoulders. You know, the guy's got, what, 50 turner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is just a ridiculous number. And actually, Gopas, uh, I just I read in the paper you may have read this. Gopas saying that he can do the splits nearly and hold his own body body weight and do and jackal over people. I mean, like absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, his turnovers are, are more than most teams put together. It's just yeah, crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, and it, with the new laws, I think it's really played into his strength, doesn't it? The new laws at the breakdown that's played into his strength. But here's a question then, really. Do you think Eddie Jones will ignore the likes of you, me, press opinion and not pick him? <laughs> Coming up, what do you reckon? I can uh, see him not picking well, him. Well, if you ask me what my England bat row is. Um, Tom, Curry. Polar, Tom Curry, yeah. Jack Willis at six. Yeah. And then uh, either Mark Wilson or Brad Shields at eight. Really? Uh, Brad Shields playing his way in, do you think? He's playing very, very well, man. Brad Shields gives something different in terms of his decision-making and his ball-playing ability. 
Um, I know Tom Curry's very good with the ball in hand as well. But and people might say, oh, well, where's your heavy heavy artillery? You know, you believe in a polo. Well, Billy hasn't been played well enough, I don't think. And No, he hasn't. And it depends on what Eddie's approach is. If he wants to play a faster game, which he's talking about, and with the breakdown laws, that, that also helps that. Well, that back row is going to certainly, you know, sort your breakdown out or suit the suit the new breakdown laws 100% both sides of the ball and they will keep going and they can play a fast game and you know England needs to sort of realise look they're a power team we know that they're kicking games phenomenal the best in the world by mm. a mile um, and we know international rugby is about the here and now but you know there, there comes a stage where you need to develop the next part of your game where mm. you can beat all comers in the world and play a different way and you know, England tried it against South Africa in the final, didn't they? Try to put width on the ball, try to sort of run run the big forwards around. And when you're playing against the French and Saffords, you need to sort of apply that. Um, and I would like to see that back row because I think it suits that style of play. How's uh, Wilson been up there, by the way? I mean, it's pretty. Well, he's been he's been down in England camp for the last two weeks, so he's in a bubble. Yeah, right. He's brilliant for the first four or five weeks. Um, so he's been in a bubble down there. Um, He's a great player, isn't he? Great yeah. workhorse, yeah. Phenomenal player, mate. Phenomenal player. Um, second row, second row, um, it tells you being there, and I like Johnny Hill, mate. Johnny Hill from Exeter, I really like him. I think good player, oh. good hard man, brilliant in the line out. Uh, is, there, is he in the squad, though? Is he, in the... Oh, he must be. Well, he's not in the squad, is he? Because he's in the final. Oh, can't, he can't be, yeah. Yeah, I watched him. He made, I thought... He's six foot ten, six foot eleven. Um, he's an international player, that's for sure. And uh, I think that back five is an exciting back five. That's a, that, yeah, like yeah. I I think he's a, he's a he's a lovely lovely player. Hill, he's, he gets himself around for a big guy, doesn't he? he does get. But here's, here's a tries, mate. He's dying he talk, you're talking about wanting to get the ball wide and move the ball. He's probably st- he won't be able to. The pit Ben Youngs at nine, won't they? He'll be taking four steps before he passes. <laughs> that's a, that's that's another another story. But I mean, should we go back to the um, the other semi final? I guess Bristol were disappointing, really, weren't they? And you, and you said it a, a few weeks. ago go and it, I actually um, I actually agree with you now in hindsight well actually for them really they probably thought well if we get in the top four you know are we ready to to, to, to meet the likes of Exeter you know and actually they've got their fi- uh, their final coming up now and, and like you say silverware is probably more important than, than actually challenging in the premiership so you probably called it right uh, from their point of view but they were very disappointing in that game uh, I mean obviously I was just like, get your opinion on the referee decision. I don't know whether you saw it. Where at one stage he was, he was talking, he was trying to explain his decision near the try line to the players who stopped and sort of started listening to him. And, and Robson just tapped and went. And I just think that was one of those really, I think, very unfortunate moments playing to the whistle. I just think it's very unfair when the referee is talking to the players about. Yeah, no, it's not on at all, mate. It's really poor. Um, yeah, I don't, I, there were some really odd calls going both ways like the, the one at the scrum early on I don't know what that was for the free kick it was ridiculously harsh um, but he but he did the same didn't he the other side so when Nathan Nathan Hughes took a quick tap for Bristol's first try he wasn't uh, talking to them no he took a fit, quick tap like half a yard in front of the line of okay. where it was and then he carried on running but there was no if you watch it the, the ref starts talking to them and they're all looking at the ref while he's talking and he just taps and goes around the blind nah, it side. Was, it wasn't good, mate. It wasn't good. Um, and is that... Is, I mean, am uh, I wrong? Uh, that, or is that, it... mate, when, you, when you're also, you know, um, 
referee in the semi-final. That, those are the sort of things that, uh, look, at the end of the day, it didn't make a difference in this particular semi-final. But you know, you, you know, that's you know, that's sort of pretty low-level mistake, isn't it? Really. Um, and you know, nowadays, mate, with being able to pull back for forward passes or foul play or whatever it might be, or grounding, you know, I think he, he you know, he's a he's a rational guy, Matt Carley, and uh, I think he could have quite easily just gone. Actually, that wasn't that wasn't right. What I did that wasn't correct. Um, you know, if I'm no. players, you know, and they've got my attention. I'm allowing that to go on. That's you know, distraction. Um, so you think it's? I think you're right. I think it's going to be two wins for Exeter. Really, I mean, if 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 Wasps get, you know, I think something may happen in that final to go their way, like a sending off and a, a you know, a rub of the green and a couple of decisions. But I think Exeter, you know, I think they'll be really buoyed by this weekend's final if they win that final, which I think they will. I mean, um, I mean, how can Racing? you know, with, with players with COVID and not being able to train properly and suddenly, you know, go out there in the fi- in the final of the European Cup and win it. I, I, it's so unlikely, isn't it, really? Uh, I yeah. mean, so unlikely. I mean, I can't even think of... I mean, that, <laughs> the odds must be massively against them. Um, but I'll be pleased for Exeter, being a Saracens fan. I will be pleased for them. It'll be great for them to get that win. But the final against... Was it great to see Wasto back in a final? It's been a while, hasn't it? You know, um, it was Wasp, being in... they, I mean, Was Was were the uh, they were the final the runners they? They up were... for the losers last time Exeter won it, wasn't it? So uh, yeah, but I think I mean, if you look at you know, we will move on to sort of coach of the season, Lee Blackett. I mean, oh. Lee Blackett and Rob Baxter, but Lee Blackett, the turnaround that's happened to Wasps quite yeah. when he took over in when was it January February. Yeah. Uh, a remarkable job. I mean, they were sitting in the bottom half of the league, you know, maybe even sort of second from bottom or maybe third from bottom. Mm. Um, no, he's done well there, but uh, yeah, I can't see them. I, you know, I think extra just too strong across the board. Um, they play for 80 minutes. They're an 80 minute side and, uh, you know, one, one switch off from Racine and that could be it. And they'll probably have a few more, you know, if you're, if you're having a sort of five-minute period of a bit of a lull as a team, or if you switch off and lose focus on a certain play, whatever it might be, X to the sort of side that will just make you pay. And before you know it, you know, the, the score was 35-6. They beat Bath. And it's sort of like, look, they were better than Bath, but 35-6 is an absolute thrashing. Um, yeah. But Bath, start had their, Bath some... had their opportunities. They had their opportunities, you know, but they just didn't take them. I just um, the funny about Exeter though they don't they don't seem to start well they start very slowly and like you say they kind of wear you down and they interesting they don't panic do they when they are a try down or ten points down they don't panic they just get themselves into the game and and end up winners really so it's it's very interesting and I said this before it's not a team of superstars they've got a bit of magic with Hog Gray who else is there really you know they're nine ten. So I know Slade is on the international team, but you know, by and large, you know, even look at their, you know, their back three, uh, or apart from Hub, but the back, you know, the two wingers, they're not all massive international stars, are they? Um, and in the pack as well, they just work together very well. So great coaching, which is very good. But um, 
So yeah, I mean, the interesting now is is uh, I mean, I've been reading the press, and I'm very worried about my Saracens, who have obviously uh, gone into to the championship for next year. And there's a lot of talk now that, that the championship don't want to play matches in front of crowds because it's not viable. Saracens obviously need the matches to go ahead so they can get promotion back into the Premiership. The sort of murmurings um, of ring fencing the Premiership and and maybe even bringing Saracens back into the Premiership, ring fencing it. Um, and I guess, well, two things: trail finders won't be happy with that. But secondly, I think uh, I think some of the Premiership teams they desperately want to to see Saracens punished, don't they? That's what they want. They want. Uh, they want. Yeah, some, yeah. Some but I think TV's yeah. putting a lot of pressure, isn't it? Because they want your Macos, your Billies, you know, your own Farrells, the Maratoges. You know, they want them back on the screen and want them to get promoted and bring them back. And I suppose one, say one solution for it. I mean, I think they've still got to serve their crime, um, serve the penance for their crime. But um, one could be to have a much more truncated championship, maybe, you know, start in January and play, play each other once. Um, so you actually get some sort of closure uh, on that season. Um, that could be one way of doing it. But uh, no one seems to know, mate. The RFU haven't said anything um, about when it's going to propose proposal for start, and it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Um, so can Newcastle, I mean, you're closer to it. Um, can Newcastle afford to have uh, a season without without fans? I mean, can you afford it? I mean, are you are you are you hope? Well, you're obviously hoping for government support, and I know that there's a big push to get support by the government but how long can the premiership survive without fans financially no it's very well without government support they won't i don't think that no. you won't they won't even exeter who run a very very astute business making money and they've said by christmas you know a million a month are losing yeah um they said we just can't carry on it's uh you know, I know, I know the arts, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that there will be a government bailout for sport. I know the arts have started to receive money, haven't they? Um, today or something, there was an announcement in terms of, you know... 250 the, million going into, yeah. Theatres and sculpture parks and things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm just hoping at the moment they're thrashing the, thrashing the deal together, mate. And, uh, um, you know, it can keep keep sport going um, until the crowds are allowed back in. But even when crowds come back in, Brax, you know, I don't think they'll be full crowds. Um, I also think that they might be turned off one because they might want to not want to go, um, whatever reason, infection or, you know, don't trust the vaccine or actually enjoy watching it on TV at home, don't want to travel. Or it could be, Prices might get hiked up too much. I mean, we saw this with the Quinn's Bath game when they were charging 50 quid a ticket to sit there <laughs> and they expected to get the full three and a half or 4,000 and they didn't get that. And people might just go, you know what? I can cope with this more than I think thought I couldn't before lockdown or before. Well, fra- yeah, well, uh, and you've also got to factor in that a lot of that money was made from the corporate selling the corporate boxes and the people they're sending the boxes to, you know, 75, 80% of them have, have been hit hard from COVID as well. So whether they'd have the money to pay whatever the rate was. So you've got to be careful with well, the front clubs. When yeah. 
because this is funny, you know, because the clubs are trying to work out ways to get money in, and it's quite interesting in football where they they want to charge fourteen ninety five for all those uh, yeah. non screen games. Um, I mean, I had a couple of friends I played golf with last week who, um, um, Darren and Gavin, they went to that. They went to that fifty quid ahead. Quit their Quinn supporters. They went to that match against Bath and I think they, they hated it for a few reasons firstly they were quite far away from each other like rows away from each other they got a mask on they got no one to sort of you know necessarily talk to and you got and Harlequins got smashed as well <laughs> so they were like they were like I'm not doing that again uh, I don't fancy doing that again but uh, here's a, I tell you what let, let's finish off on, on, a, on a positive note um, I was well I I, I I kind of saw it was four o'clock in the morning, but I saw a great resurgence of the Australia against New Zealand. Mm. I mean, what a match. I mean, first of all, first of all, I thought, you know, easily New Zealand were going to win that. They've played their um, sort of national tournament and they're sort of raring to go. And I thought, and they picked some, some young, exciting players. I thought, oh my God, they're going to absolutely smash. They hadn't won. Australia hadn't won since 2001, 19 years. And as you saw, it was 31,000 in the stadium. Yeah. And it was... And, uh, mate, always, I tell you what you get with a Blooders Low Cup game, mate, is you never get a dull game. Whether New Zealand are thrashing them all the other way around, there's tries. They play a good brand of rugby, both of them. This was probably more physical than the usual games. And hats off to Dave Rennie. Um, brilliant, brilliant coach. What a start to his sort of... Um, and Parling. Jeff Parling as well in a line out, yep. Um, and did you see that kick, Reese Hodge? 81st oh. minute. What a kick that was. Wind, wind assisted, but that, if that had gone over, I think that would have topped Paul Thorburn's kick. <laughs> it was 61 metres. Oh. It was a monster, mate. And, you know, we don't like Australia too much. Don't want them to win him much. But actually, oh, it would have been nice for World Rugby to see them win that game. But uh, look, nine, nine minutes of extra time it went to. Nine minutes nine, of extra time. They were playing oh. from everywhere, weren't they? And, uh, you know, they just serve up. I mean, it's a, it's a great advert for rugby, that. And that their mindset in terms of all our attack and we're going for this, I think, is has, has got to be admired massively. Um, yeah. But they're, they're certainly not risk averse, that's for sure. So, what do you think of my new haircut, Nick? <laughs> well, your hair, you mean your hair pluck? You've just been plucking some hairs out. Oh, mate, yeah, this lockdown's not serving me well. I don't know whether I'm stressed, but look, it's just going. At least you've got a big head, big head of hair. It's been going for a while, man. Just, uh, at least you're embracing it, mate. At least you're embracing it. You're not one of those that's decided to go down the... <laughs> what? To like... route. I've already had one of them. It didn't work. <laughs> You've gone to the wrong guy then. I've gone to the wrong guy, mate. But listen, um, you have a good week and we'll uh, we'll catch up uh, after we know who the winners are of these finals. And um, and I hope things are going well up in Newcastle. You're not asking me about once they're rubbing on my coaching team. Well, mate, what is, actually, that's a good, good point. What is going on now with these new rules? down there and the fact that well, you have season starting have you ever have you ever played that return to rugby with the RFU it's it's a bit random you know where you, you touch four in your own half and then four it's really hard we're considering at some stage maybe registering as a rugby league team so we can get some proper tackling in and play yeah. some matches <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's a bad a, shout that's not that's a bad, not a bad shout. shout you know so um, 
yeah, I've, I've never taught rugby league. It's all the same. All the same, mate. This is them. This is us. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Just smash him. Hey, I tell you what, I don't know whether you read in the papers, though, um, some of our sevens guy, thank, guys, thankfully, Olympic medalists, have now got a job uh, playing in the World Tens series. Have you ever played Tens? Because I've yeah, played yeah, it once. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. loved it. I thought it was great. So they're talking about having a um, certain amount of teams. I think an American franchise have come up with the idea. They want to play Tens. And they want to instead of having it country-wise, have it club-wise, and they're going to get they're going to basically go around the world playing it. It's quite an interesting concept that you get five points for a try, and then you 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 can decide where you kick your conversion from to get extra points. One, oh, two, or three. Zonal is it? Zonal, yeah. Um, only twenty-minute matches. I think it's quite nice. Ben Foden signed up to it. Uh, Doyle, the referee, signed up to it. So I'm glad there's you know there's some movements on. Maybe, you know, playing a different style of game and, you know, expanding the brand, so to speak. You, I wonder, if, would you have been a tens man? I enjoyed it, man. I played, uh, I, played, I played in that sort of international vets tens last year in Dubai and did enjoy it. It actually wasn't long enough, which is a, a funny thing to say for being retired and, uh, you know, not enjoying the sort of, uh, sh- not shorter format, but less numbers on the pitch. I mean, seven aside, you know, I played in plenty of them. Seven minutes is too long at half. <laughs> actually it's, it's very manageable it's all like, all right there's a whistle gone you're sort of getting into it a little bit more because there's yeah. a bit more stoppages clearly there's less room for opposition as well but uh i really enjoyed it mate i really enjoyed it well it's effect- effectively sevens becomes very one-dimensional predictable whereas at least in in tens there's a bit more scope for the rook and there's a bit more collisions in right places and it's a bit more like 15s and it includes more forwards instead of hybrid backs you know so you never know it might take off Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter thanks for listening we'll be back next week see you then <laughs>